Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today we welcome to the show ourselves. <laughs> Just wanted to say that for some reason. Today, Michael and I are going to do a show on tarot methodology, and basically we're going to talk about how we approach readings in different ways. Uh, before we get started, however, I will do a few announcements because Michael's still a little bit getting over his cough, so we're going to keep it a little, little bit easy on his voice. So anyway, next week, we are excited to have Sandra Inman come on and talk about prosperity magic. She's been on the show before, and you guys will love her if you haven't heard her before. May 23rd, week after that, we have our good friend Ray Davis, and he's going to be talking about a show he started on YouTube called High Vibe Saturday Night that combines spirituality and music. And finally, for the end of the month, May 30th, we have our good friend, Reverend Jim McGrath, coming on and talking about King Solomon. I mean, who is that dude anyway? We all want to know why he's so associated with magic. Uh, so anyway, he's going to talk more about the biblical aspect of it. But anyway, it's a good show. We're really excited about it. Uh, but let's get going on. Oh, and one more announcement, very important announcement is Michael's class will soon be starting. And it's starting, it's a class called Secrets of Kabbalistic Tarot. It's a seven-week workshop. It starts on Sunday, May 21st, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific time on Zoom, and it costs $300. And then my uh, one-day class, Introduction to Animal Totems, is Tuesday, June 6th. 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. It's going to be $45 unless you sign up before May 15th using the promo code EARLYBIRDREGISTRATION. Uh, so there are going to be links under this show to the tickets on Eventbrite, but you can also go to our website, mysticraven.net, and there you will see right away a pop-up that shows you how to get the tickets for both classes and Michael's class for the seven weeks is $300, which is a steal. So get it while you can. And we hope to have some students signing up in the next a week or so. Uh, and I think that's good for the announcement. So let's get going on our topic. So in the past, we have shared some stories about Tara and Kabbalah. Michael and I, we've talked about uh, the broad concepts of Kabbalah. We've talked about ethics. But one of the most challenging things for anyone starting out, and even people that have been doing it a little while, is basically how do you approach a reading? And by that, there's a different layers to that. So your approach is also about how you work with clients. It's how you actually set up a reading, um, the layouts you use, the method in which you interpret it, how you deliver your reading as part of the approach, and also how you close your reading. We're going to share 
uh, our experiences and also, you know, tips that we use to help you with that. But it's definitely one of the most challenging things when you first start uh, out reading because you have a lot of different skills that go into doing that. So what do you think about that, Michael? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I thought it would be a good idea to start the show with the, uh, the warning I give everybody when I first read for them. And I want them to approach reading in the right mindset as, as a client or as a friend. Um, and so I, I say to them, first of all, I said, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not going to tell you something that you want to hear just for the sake of making you happy. I, I want you to be happy, and that's why we're doing the reading, is to move your life in a positive direction. But in, in order for that to happen, you have to make good choices, and you're not going to make good decisions if you're afraid of the truth. And so unless they can persuade me that I can help them best by lying to them, and I, and I don't think anyone can. So for me, it's about a search for truth, and I think that's what a reading is in a nutshell. Uh, I said, then, um, you know, while being honest with you, there's no such thing as a bad reading, just bad readers. So a reading should either give you good news or good advice, but either way, we want it to be helpful and constructive. And, and then lastly, you have to show up and do the work. So all we can kind of do is show you a, a roadmap of how to get from A to B, but we can't walk the journey for you. You know, you're still going to have to show up. And you have a, if you have a wonderful cycle from making friends and you sit home by yourself and watch Netflix, it's not going to do you a heck of a lot of good, you know. So we can just show you the kind of energies that are working in your life and how best to work with them. But ultimately, it's still up to them to do the work. And I've seen people go out and do the exact opposite thing, opposite of everything we've talked about and then wonder why things aren't turning out the way that we, we thought it would. And it's like, well, you know, I said, give the guy some space and you blew up his phone and now you're wondering why he won't return your calls, you know. And the reading didn't say that he, he would be out of touch. So, so again, you know, that's free will and people do have free will. But, but reading itself is fascinating and the whole process is fascinating. And then how the reading is constructed, uh, I thought was important too. And, and one of the interesting things about that is it really doesn't matter. If the reader chooses the cards for you, if you choose them, if it's shuffled and random, um, in theory, the, with synchronicity, whatever the message is, is what it's going to be. And when Kristen and I do readings for people on Zoom or phone or something where we have to choose the cards, we actually use a virtual deck. And we have a, a wonderful program called Orphalese Tarot that we've been using for, oh God, 17 years maybe now. And it was, it's a funny program. It was written by a guy who was looking for a coding project and he thought doing a tarot program would be a fun coding project. So he really didn't do it to, to be a tarot program specifically, but it's still the best I think out there. And mm. sadly for you Mac people, there's only a PC version of it, so you're out of luck. But it, it's a great way to do it. And the reason we do that is because again it first of all we can screen share it with the the client which is always nice but at the same time um because it's a virtual deck a physical deck isn't 100 percent uniform and i think your biases can sleep in slip in a little and we don't want bias to be a part of a reading in any way shape or form and so again a virtual deck the advantage is the back of the cards when you select them are the exact same image they're always 100 percent uniform so there's no cheating allowed it's a I think a more objective way of doing it. So that's why we kind of default to that tool. But again, it doesn't really matter. You know, it message will be what it's going to be in, in that moment and how it's created, I, I don't think really matters. So that's kind of how we approach reading. And then we can get into specifics with, with how we analyze and so forth. But I, I thought it's good to begin where we normally begin. Yeah. And for me, um, my approach is pretty basic as far as, um, you know, there, there's also just meeting the, the client, getting them comfortable. And I personally ask them from the very beginning if they want to do sort of an overall reading, which, which I don't need any information, or do they have specific questions? And but basically, one of the reasons I do that uh, is because I use different layouts for different questions. And that's what I tell them. I say, look, I don't need information. But for instance, I'll give an example. Like if you want to look at five different places to move, I have a specific layout for that. And this is 
again, a practical thing. Um, there are some people that don't want to ever, uh, you know, have you ask questions. Um, there, are, of course, you want to avoid the whole cold reading kind of thing where you're kind of reading the person, which again, we'll t I'll talk about that within some of the specifics of my approach. But, but I like to sort of, especially if it's a really quick reading, and that way I'm not going to waste their time. So I, I try to be efficient that way. Yeah, I think it's good to know if there's a specific area that they want to look at for sure. Um, I think that from a time point of view, I think I'm comfortable in about a 30-minute span. So that's the readings I like to do. I think, you know, 10 or 15 minutes is awfully fast to kind of do it. We do it at parties and stuff, and we'll try and cover as much ground as we can. But they're they're pretty quick readings. And I think for a one-on-one -on -one private reading, I think 30 minutes is a, is a good time to do it in. You shouldn't have to really take more than that. Um, and so I, I do like personally to start when I can with an overall reading even if we don't spend a whole lot of time on it. And I find that I kind of like to have that pattern sort of tucked away in the back of my head because I kind of want to mentally refer back to it from time to time. So then if the person later on asks me a question, you know, I'm thinking about moving to another city, and I can think back to that general pattern and say, well, why isn't there any transitional energy in your general pattern then? So again, you know, it's another one of those things that I kind of like to see reconcile in some way with whatever the, the specific reading is as well. I think both of those things should should overlap on some level. So I do like to have that general energy, general reading in the back of my mind, even doing specific stuff. I totally agree. And I keep the, the general reading in the back of my mind. I see it as like a backdrop to everything. And then often you find if you do the general reading, it already answers some questions or brings up some new ones as well, I have found. But I, I totally agree with Michael. I'll be like, hmm, you know, if we do a specific and it doesn't match the general, then I sort of question in my own mind, why is that? And then it means, of course, as a reader, uh, one of the most important things for you to do is pay attention to the cards. And, and people are going to be... Uh, you know, distracting in that, you know, you don't want to obviously ignore your client. But one of the things I don't do is I don't read the person's energy to interpret it into the tarot because it can be off that day. I do look and see how they are. Like I want to know if they look nervous or, you know, excited. But I have found the cards are more accurate for me as to what's really going on with their energy. And I've had it proven to me. And so I want to stick to really that idea. I trust that the cards are going to tell me also, Michael talked about, you know, the truth. I believe the tarot will tell me most of the time <laughs> because sometimes it wants to kind of, you know, maybe uh, distract you a little from, from certain truths that are difficult for you. But as a whole, it's going to read accurately, especially a person's personality. I find that is very accurate, accurate with the tarot. Yeah, I think the tarot definitely tells the truth. I think it lies uh, intentionally from time to time. Um, and I think it's because of a good thing. I think it would discourage people if they knew the truth in a sense. So let's say a person has to go through a difficult experience, but on the other end of it, it's the only way to get to where they want to be in life to live happily ever after. So uh, the tarot may say, oh, this isn't going to be that bad. And it's, it kind of knows it is, but at the same time, it doesn't want to discourage you from taking that important step that is going to ultimately get you to where you need to be. So I think when it does quote unquote lie, I think it's with your own best interest at heart. And I don't think it intentionally and maliciously deceives ever. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, and, and I've had that happen with me in my own readings. And so it, it, I still trust the tarot completely or I wouldn't do this for a living if I didn't think the tarot was helpful in any way. And I, I really think it is here to help us. And then, you know, as part of my actual approach to any reading I do for others is it's not about me ever. And it's always about what serves the client. And so that means I also have to watch my reactions 
uh, inwardly even. Um, I'm not here to argue a point. If a client disagrees, I, I just let them disagree with me. If the client uh, brings up, well, this other reader said, I'll just say, well, I wasn't there. And, you know, it's up to you to make the decision. Uh, it's always, I'm always trying to really just get across what the cards are telling me, but in a way that isn't about me, me being defensive, me being right, whatever that is. So you really do have to get over yourself, I think, to give consistently good readings and get, get away from your, your own sort of, you know, uh, we all have a little bit of narcissism, I guess, you know, like a, a sense of self-importance. It's, it's, and it's actually very freeing to tell you the truth. Yeah. And I, I think everybody wants to feel like they're doing something useful and, you know, am I right is a, is an important aspect of, of knowing whether we're doing a good job or not and getting that feedback. But I, I so I, I don't think that that's a, a a bad thing in that sense or even to inquire and the other reason I, I will do that sometimes at the end is, is you know did this make sense to you is the is the idea that if, it, if it's off or whatever I'm not going to charge the person for the reading you know if it wasn't applicable or if it didn't really help them with anything now having said that in the 26 seven years we've been doing this the amount of people that that have not connected with the reading is probably I could count on both hands, you know, or at least both hands and both feet. Um, so it's been very few out of the, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of readings that Chris and I have done over the years. But, but I definitely want us to ethically be there to help the person. I want them to feel like they got something out of the experience. And they really do most of the time, which is really cool. And, and there are people that we've read for going back 26 years that still regularly get readings with us. So I've often said to Krista, I guess we, we must be doing something right, because otherwise they would have given up on us a long time ago. So I think that that's really cool. But, but I definitely think the reading is also a co-created experience. It's what they bring to the table, their openness, their willingness to absorb information. Um, and them not having that ego where they, they kind of want to be right and be told what they want to hear and so forth. I totally agree. And I've even talked to some clients about the co-creation because you will find if you do a lot of readings for, for a lot of different people that sometimes the um, energy, the reading itself goes deeper right away. And I feel like that has to do with the client as much as it does me and, and my ability to they can go wherever they need to go. And I, you know, I don't, again, I don't really judge people. I just notice it. I said, wow, this person's just really, really open and they really want to get information. And so it's like this triangle that occurs with you, assuming there's only one person, because you can read for more than one person at a time even, um, but you, the cards and the client. And one of the things that's really cool about the tarot is it's like that equalizer that even if people can, uh, and they do, they'll project onto you, but basically they generally will project onto the tarot first and, and that sort of neutralizes some things. An example of that would be how people will overly relate to a certain card, both positively and negative. They'll keep saying, well, what about that card? And what about that card? And, and so there's something going on that you want to notice. Why is that client really you know, going for that one single card, especially if you have like 19 cards laid out on the table. It's kind of fascinating, the psychology. So that's some sort of projection going on. Um, but that idea that Michael's saying it's co-created, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and then to talk about the reading process itself a little bit, and with tarot in particular, as opposed to other, other tools, um, the cards tell a story. Um, and you're basically reading the story that's put in front of you. Um, and that's one of the reasons I always encourage people when they're starting out. You'll see those exercises of choose choose one card and it'll be, you know, 
showing what's going to happen during the day. And to me, one card is not a story. It's it's a word. It's it's not enough pattern. And I think patterns are important with the tarot. So I always encourage you to choose three or more because um, I think three cards makes a pattern. Anything beyond that is is bonus. But I think three or more. Um, I think there is a legitimate way to use one card. But it's not so much in a predictive sense, and I don't think I would ever use it that way. Um, and we've talked about doing this. I, I think we're going to do some TikTok at some point, which is a... Now, we're old and, and set in our ways. This is going to be a new experience for us in all these years. We've never done TikTok, but we're kind of getting talked into it and our arms twisted a little bit. And what we're going to do is choose a, a card each week, um, and not as a predictive thing. And I hate those general overall. This one card is for humanity to predict everybody going through the same experience. But, but as a meditation, so the idea of this is what the Two of Cups ultimately talks about and can you use that in your life at the moment maybe to reflect on these themes or things and see if there's some way that you can incorporate it or, or you know and use it in some positive constructive way um, but but not a predictive thing I, I don't really want to do one card predictive little tiktok readings it's just not my thing but but i think that's going to be a fascinating thing to see how people relate to that because it's kind of a little different take on what we've done with the tarot up to this point and i know it can be legitimately used that way which is great but it's, it's going to be a new phase or a new 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 level of what we do as readers yeah i i agree with you on all of that that you were saying and um I also found that before we had uh, learned the Kabbalah, that looking for a storyline was really helpful. And so to do a storyline too, really, I think you have to use layouts. And so not everyone, you know, uses a layout. They just pick cards and pick cards and pick cards. And, uh, you know, I can see that working for a certain kind of mind. Uh, people that probably aren't comfortable with the stream of consciousness, um, or kind of an intuitive look at things. But for most people, that that structure helps, you know, to sort of balance all the information that can come from looking at cards. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing where you might start off thinking like, what am I ever going to say, which is what I did, to having way, way too much information sometimes. But looking for the storyline, I still do that. I'll look immediately at sort of where it is and where it's going, and immediately I registered in my mind, you know, really quickly, because I can do that, I say, okay, that's the storyline. And what's interesting is it gets really complex, like a novel sometimes, like I'll see one storyline based on using the path system in Kabbalah, then suddenly there's this other sub path. And like, oh, what's going on over here? And and so it's it's also kind of exciting for you as a reader to look for the storyline. And, and I think it's also a way for us to frame our lives um, in a way that's meaningful. I'm going to sit down with this person who's a tarot card reader, and we're going to look at the story of my life. And I think anyone that takes even 15 minutes to do that already has a level of consciousness that I think is healthy. Like you're you're actually taking the time to say, I need to pause and look at my life. And and then people, you know, obviously some people do it on a regular basis. And, and unless there's some sort of compulsion, which is not a healthy thing, most people, it does add to their life in some way. Yeah, I think that... Um and you use the word analysis, and I think that that's such a great word. And we'll have people sometimes say, are you just being intuitive? And it's, well, no, you know, the intuitive part of it, the biggest, and yes, there is some of it, but the intuitive part of it, the biggest part was creating the reading. You know, why did you choose that particular card out of the 78? Why were you drawn to that one, you know? And, and so to me, that's the most psychic intuitive part of the reading is the construction of the reading, to be honest. But I tell my clients sometimes, I wish you could be in my brain while I'm doing your reading, uh, because it's it's so much an analysis and calculation, and you know this 
card versus that card and where's this and how does it compare to that position and, and and so forth and it's like a little computer just kind of whirring away up there just doing analysis and and to me i've often said especially with prediction i think analysis is important um and i've often used this example i i'd say you know describe the weather today and you can step outside and say well it's a little overcast here in la it's kind of a little bit cool this morning there's no wind you can give me a pretty accurate description of the day um, if I said to you, what was the weather like a year ago on this day, you know, call the weather office. They'll tell you how warm it was, whether there was a wind, what direction it was, how humid it was, you know, was it overcast, was it blue, you know, clear skies, they'll, they'll give you all that information. They keep it in history. But if I said to you, what is uh, uh, the weather going to be like, you know, uh, three years ago from this day, you know, and, and in, in the future, who will you call? Well, if you're smart, you call the weather office again. You say, send me over all the, the data you have for this particular date going as far back as you have it. And then you analyze it you'll sit down you'll say well on average it tends to be within this temperature range it tends more likely to be sunny than cloudy um humidity tends to be within this average i've noticed a little trend where it's starting to get half a degree warmer so i'm going to add a, a degree and a half you know just just because that seems to be the trend and i'm going to make a prediction and if you've done a good job with your analysis your prediction is probably going to be right way more than it's going to be wrong or at least close so analysis is such an important part of the whole process Absolutely. And, and really, that has to do with uh, the concept of prediction. So predictive work is different from other kinds of work that you can do with the tarot, which, you know, you can meditate with the tarot. Uh, you can use it to sort of just um, look at a person's like character. But predictive work requires some form of analysis, no matter what kind of prediction it is. Uh, and so when people, you know, people say, oh, do you just read the cards and are you also psychic? You know, I look, I love psychicism. I, I think I'm, I'm still like sort of uh, of the, the kind of person that's amazed by certain psychic abilities. But you don't need that necessarily to do a great reading. I mean, I'm not going to say we don't have any abilities because we do. But those abilities alone to do a predictive reading, I don't think... Uh, based on my experience and our success with predictions, uh, which of course were not always successful, but we're better than a lot of people with timing especially, is because we analyze. And both Michael and I do that. And it's such a, it's a little bit of a hard part to the reading initially because you do have to weigh so many things. But after a while, certain patterns become really familiar. And so you you know from experience, oh, I remember that pattern or that the way that those cards were. So that idea that you have to analyze and that you're looking for this storyline, um, even that, honestly, if you were to start, let's say you just started doing readings and you just did a little short reading for a friend and you looked at a very short storyline, you'd be surprised at how that helps people just to know that, oh, the story looks like it's going in a really good direction because maybe they're in the middle of some difficulties, right? So, you know, it, some of these basic ideas can actually go quite a long way. Yeah, for sure. And, and I always think, too, that, that even with difficult energies, quote unquote, um, there are better ways to use them. So, for example, I always tell people if, if it's about, you know, losing money um, and, and you were to walk past a homeless person and you, you felt compassion and you reached into your pocket and you handed them $20 and, and 
helped him to turn his life around, you'd feel very good about yourself for doing that. You're out 20 bucks. If the government taxes you $20 to give to that homeless man, you, re- homeless man, you resent it. And either way, you're out 20 bucks to help the homeless guys. So for me, it's about not fighting an energy. It's about your ability to embrace it, to understand how it can be used constructively and positively. And, and to me, I think that's one of the great teachings of the tarot is there's really no such thing as a quote-unquote bad energy. It's just that some are... are, are maybe a little easier to work with than others. But but there's always a good way to apply an energy to get some constructive outcome with it. And I think that that's one of the great lessons that the tarot has taught me. Well, I, I had, I, I think I talked a little bit about this, but I had a very intense, long experience with the Nine of Swords um, when I started writing about it. I wrote about it for the Feminine Macabre and it was published, the article. And when I noticed that in the Toth deck, it is connected to Mars and Gemini, and we went to this Mars and Gemini retrograde. So I had this whole lesson, and I have to say, I did learn some of the difficulty of the Nine of Swords, but some really, really amazing things happened. And as far as it representing, like, you know, that idea that it's truth and needing to do what you have to do, that across the board was applicable for every situation that kind of came up. And so knowing, however, that I was working with that energy made such a huge difference. I, I knew how to work with it. I knew that it it was uh, it wanted the best for me. Like I, I know that from the, any of the middle pillar cards. So one of the, the things I will do sometimes with clients I've read for a long time, I often mention Kabbalah and where it is the card is or the path that they're on. And I talk about the lessons of that path and those cards so people can actually you know be more conscious using the energies around them and so that's that's one of my methods too is is sometimes for readings it's not just about telling people things but teaching them how to work with the the situation in a way that will help them or or maybe work with the people around them and so i think that's also sometimes even more important than prediction or let's say equally important is is how do i navigate these forces in my life um some are cosmic some are caused by myself and i think that experience has taught me myself a lot about how to navigate things that in the beginning I might not have had a clue, even knowing what I knew about the tarot. So I think just kind of jumping ahead a little bit and getting into the reading process itself, because I'm sure that people out there want to understand, you know, how it works. Um, And what I like to do, and and my personal preference, is to not really know anything going in. Um, So I'm not going to pump the person for information to find out what's going on in their life and so forth, and especially with a new person that I'm reading for for the first time. So what I like to use is a very expanded version of a Celtic cross that we developed. None of it was our idea. It's a consolidation of three different uh, spreads, I thought, that had something to offer that made sense and made a bigger pattern that works really well for us. So I've used that one now, you know, again, 27 years now, we've been using that same spread. Um, And it's just a terrific sort of overall general pattern. So what I like to do is just have them choose the cards, create the pattern, the spread, and then just kind of jump into it. And I don't even give them a chance to talk, you know. I want to go through my understanding of what this pattern's all about. So the first probably 10 minutes of reading is me just kind of explaining this pattern, you know, what it's all about. Um, And they don't get a word in edgewise, so I'm not pumping them for information. And and it's amazing how often they'll say, yeah, that makes sense. That touches on everything I was going to ask, as Krista said. So that's really cool when that happens. But I like to kind of give my thoughts. And and then, of course, at that point, I'm stuck with it, right? I've, I've sort of said this is a transitional cycle. Now I'm stuck with that energy, which is fine. But I like to kind of not have them 
uh, telling me things because to me again that's going to make you subjective you're going to be looking for what they're telling you rather than just listening to the cards and what the cards are telling you and then from that point then we can say okay now is there anything specific and at that point they may say okay i want to look further into my career and thinking about making a career change and you'll say yeah well there was the you know transition in your general pattern and it seems to impact the suit of launch which ha which has to do with the sense of self so yes you're quite likely to make a career change and then we can dig deeper into that energy and what that's all about and then if they want to contribute a little bit of feedback or or whatever that's up to them um, I still like being blind as much as possible. And as Krista said, we, we have spreads we use for, let's say I have a decision, do I quit my job or not, where we can do it without actually knowing what the answer is, so to speak, so that we're completely objective and say, okay, uh, you know, the, the first option was your best option, but I don't know what that first option was. I don't know whether it was to quit or not. So the person I've made them choose without telling me. Um, and that way, again, it's objective because I'm not sort of letting my own biases creep into it. It's whatever the card said was the best option. Well, that's the best option. Um, and we kind of do it that way. Uh, but I, I still like the, the idea of that first overall spread. And I do like the idea of jumping straight into it, you know, analyzing it without giving them any chance to impart any information. Because to me, then you're not doing a cold reading, as Krista said. And there are definitely those unethical readers out there that will pump people for information and then tell them the information that they got from them. And that's the reading. And that's, that's definitely not what Krista and I do. Yeah, I totally agree with Michael, though, obviously, with old clients, they sometimes just want to chat with me a little bit. The other thing that neither of us do at this point that we did in the beginning as part of our method is we don't do reversals. And um, I even when I did, I did reversed cards and upright cards when I first started out, I always found it extremely confusing because there's no opinion about what it means uh, consistently. Some people would say, well, it's the potential of that car and others the opposite. But you look at the, even when you look at the books, um, sometimes the opposite of the card, the reverse is almost worse or the same. And so there's, that's one reason I don't, we don't need it. We also, there's so many combination of cards where based on Kabbalah, there are like easier cards and more difficult cards. And then finally, I think personally that I always tell people to, as part of my method, I really keep looking at the images. And so tarot is a symbolic language and the images do things to you. And when you put them in a pattern, especially without you even know, knowing what it's doing, if you have a, a really well thought out deck, like um, you know the Toth deck, the colors, everything, it's actually working on you. And uh, so they're not designed to be read upside down, except for there are a few decks out there that have a, a different image. Um, I think it's a Lenormand, Lenormand deck has one of them. The image is different, but it's kind of small, you know. So I don't think we're be meant to uh, look at the cards that way. And uh, there's plenty of um, combinations that are, like I said, balanced that you don't need the reversals, honestly. And I found it super confusing. Yeah, I agree. And I don't use them either. And, you know, we experimented with them starting out. And typically what the reversal is, it's considered an imbalance of that energy, either too much or too little um, or misplaced, you know, in, in some way. Um, so it's suggesting that the the issue I have with reversals probably is that once you really understand the tarot and what the cards mean, there's sort of a card for everything. So if it was to be a, a lack of a 
an aggression card why do i take an aggressive one and turn it upside down why don't it why not just choose a passive one to start with and and since there there's sort of something for everything in there to represent the human experience so for me i felt that it was an unnecessary complication and the other thing i, I really don't like about it is the lack of randomness of it so for example you know again when a person shuffles a deck or whether they choose cards if they're spread out face down in front of them there's a complete randomness to, to how that happens whereas with the 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 reversals the cards are either going to be you know upright or not upright in the deck and there's no no way that that can really shift or change while you're creating the reading and i like it when things are much more able to shift and change rather than being too locked in like that mm, that's a good point i hadn't thought about that the other thing we've mentioned before in other shows is we don't have people pick um their own card anymore to represent themselves which is a, a long practice in the tarot where you know you might pick one of the court cards based on your astrology or and we explained before that when we came to Los Angeles, we felt people were not picking cards that really represented who they were. So we dropped that idea because it wasn't accurate anymore. But it's, I, I don't think that's necessarily a, a wrong practice. No, it's, it's not a wrong practice. But LA is its own particular beast. You know, everybody here is, a, I'd say it's a land of make-believe. And we were in Nova Scotia where we started out, you know, and a special shout out to Vanessa and Tim and Little Mysteries Books, which is now a part of history in Halifax, but they, they gave us a big start in tarot reading. So should you wander across this show, you know, we love you guys and thank you so much for putting us on this path or helping us to move certainly to where we are today. But, you know, again, you know, when we were in Nova Scotia, you know, we would do that. If it was a man, we'd take the four kings. If it was a woman, the queens. Have them choose a card to represent themselves. Then you describe the different personality types of the different cards. And, and the vast majority of the time, they'd selected the one that best describes them. So it was really cool that they could identify themselves in the tarot. And it was a nice way to break the ice and start the reading. Um, and then we moved to L.A. and it was embarrassing. Like nobody here has a clue who they are. You know, there's, it, it's some kind of make-believe image that I have that, you know, and and... You know, this is what my movie agent tells me I'm supposed to be. and But the, the sense of self just wasn't here, it seemed. And, and it just was a disaster. So within a very short time, we decided this, was, this wasn't happening. And we, we kind of abandoned that, as Krista said. But I, I think that that's a very L.A.-specific thing. I think that many other places it would probably work terrifically well. Yeah, and it's, I totally agree it's an L.A. thing. And once in a while with, with people here, it'll sneak in for people that really are connected and authentic. It'll come up naturally to represent them as the first card. Now, I also want to talk about how um, Michael and I differ in how we actually approach the cards when we read. So I, when I first was learning tarot, I had this dream. Uh, and I, it was crazy I had this dream and that I actually took its vice. And, and in the dream, different cards in different places would light up. And I realized that that meant, and I tried it out, like I should be following the cards, even if they're lined up like one, two, three, if three lights up, I should go to that card. So in my mind, now I don't necessarily say everything that I'm thinking, but if I see certain cards lighting up when I first lay down the cards, and they really do kind of light up for me, um, I, I emphasize them in my own mind. And it was only because I, I believe in dreams and it gave me advice. And Michael has a completely different way of how he approaches even each of the cards in the reading. And, and he'll share with you in a minute, but the idea is to find your style. And my style is a little, I and mean, that's how my mind works in general, it's a little jumpy you know, but I actually can put it all together. It doesn't at all confuse me. 
Yeah, and, and that's definitely true. I think over the 26 years we've been doing this together, Chris and I have diverged in, in developing very different styles as readers. And I, I think that the way she approaches it is different than the way I would voice or approach it. Um, but the interesting thing is that the vast majority of the time we still reach the same conclusion. We just kind of express it in a different way. Um, and so I, I think that that's true. But it's definitely like art in that sense. I, I think, you know, uh, there are certain people that have made millions of dollars whose art I think sucks, you know. <laughs> and, I, and clearly other people disagree with me and it works for them. It just doesn't work for me. And so I, I think you do have to find your own style of delivery and, and so forth. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that you move away from that story that the tarot is telling you still. It's just delivering it in a slightly different way. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, a different, different character, so to speak. And it's your own unique artistic way of approaching the reading it's so true we often because uh, we'll read for some of the same people they like both of us and say oh michael told me that last month and and we just have a different way of getting to that uh end story or the conclusion um which to me really verifies that tarot works because since we have such different styles of of actually doing it uh, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of our method and this is I mean I think this is part of methodology is the idea of what topics are you willing to talk about with your clients that there can be topics you're not comfortable with and that's okay uh, so recently I was listening to um, a Vedic astrologer who's I forget his name, but he's been doing Vedic astrology a long, long time. And because of what he sees sometimes in astrology charts, he doesn't do any readings anymore about childbirth. He doesn't want to say anything um, that really he, he sees it more as a karmic thing, but also that could harm someone. And I could see that is a tricky area. I've been asked that question and I will, mm, that one is, uh, there've been times I, I, I kind of wish I hadn't said I'd answer the question. Because you do have people coming to you that sometimes have trouble giving birth, um, that have had miscarriages, things like that. So if it's a topic you're not comfortable with, you can just tell the client, hey, you know, I just don't do that. And that's that. You don't have to do anything you're not comfortable with, honestly, to tell you the truth. Or you do, if it's unethical to you. Like for me, I think it's unethical to spy on people at this point. Um, in certain situations where it feels like you're spying on somebody and it's not for any good reason. It's not to protect the person. That's fine if it's a stalker. You know, it's it's that kind of, you know, uneasy kind of energy of like, here's, a, here's an example, like a person has left this person two years ago and now they want to know if that person is still with that person, they left him over. And I'm like, why? You left them. It's two years later. What does it matter? And they want me to they want me to spy on top of it on the person the person's seen. So that's like to me, no, I'm not gonna do it. And I tell them that. I'm pretty straightforward about it. I say, no, I'm not gonna do that. And yeah, I think that that's true. And, and I think that as readers, you never want to feel that you have to do something you don't want to do. And that even includes reading for someone. You know, if there's someone that you, I, I think that, I remember this when we first started at the Bodhi Tree and one of the other readers brought in this article in some magazine by some reader person. And, and the gist of the article was that there was somebody that was a client who revealed to this reader that they, they were a pedophile and the person was so turned off that they didn't want to read for them anymore. And that the person writing the article was chastising them for how dare you be so unprofessional that you can't set aside your own prejudices to read for the person. 
And I thought, this is completely wrong. The person did exactly the right thing. They, they basically said to themselves, I find what you do so abhorrent and despicable that I'm no longer able to be objective when it comes to you, so I'm not the reader for you. You know, you need to find someone who can be objective, and that's not me. And, and so I think that she did exactly the right thing by, by refusing to read for that person. Uh, I do think if, you, if a person wants a reading and you decline, that it's good to let them sort of know in a gentle way sometimes um, why you're not going to read for them. Um, you don't want the person to walk away and assume that perhaps you saw something really bad that was going to happen to them. You just want to tell them. So I, I think be honest and explain to them, this is why I don't want to read for you and, and so forth. And, and so that they have a, a, an understanding of that and they're not kind of jumping to conclusions about things because people will definitely do that. And I don't think you want them walking away with sort of that false belief that they're doomed in some way and you just didn't want to tell them. That's a really good point. And so you can see a lot about doing any kind of tarot card reading and probably other readings has to do with communication and, and having, you know, developing your own communication skills in, in various ways. Uh, another thing that I would say uh, is important is um, how much you can do in a reading. And um, one of the best training grounds for doing readings are, are large events where you have to do short readings, whether it's 15 or 20 minutes. And you, even though we don't really do that privately anymore, they are good training grounds to see how much you can do in a short period of time, because that way you can basically um, gauge when someone says, hey, you know, I have a, I want to do a reading. And, and maybe they even say, I want to cover all these topics. Um, and you can kind of gauge, you know, if you can or cannot do it. Um, and that's something you'll get better at. Uh, I remember when when Michael first started, especially, he 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 didn't use clocks. We didn't really use clocks a lot, I have to admit. But we we really have to in in bookstores now. And he would do like uh, a two hour reading and not know like he had done a two hour reading because you definitely go into that timeless zone do you remember those days are you sometimes it'd be like even longer than that <laughs> oh yeah i mean losing track of time is a, is a big deal now we have somebody in our chat i think they're asking if you can tell if someone is, is doing magic on someone or cursing someone perhaps in a tarot reading and the answer is yes um i've seen it a couple of times uh, out of the thousands upon thousands of readings it's extremely rare um, it's not really easy to effectively curse someone and it takes an awful lot to do it. So now a lot of people think they're being cursed and they're really not. So you're looking for a certain combination of energies in the reading. And normally it's somebody who does know that someone's tried to curse them and you can actually see it in the reading. But it's extremely rare. And as I said, I've seen it maybe five times in a, in a thousands upon thousands upon thousands of readings that we've done. So, but yes, technically you can see it and I've definitely done that. But as I said, not very often. Yeah, that is that's you know I see that's a fairly common um, fear. Uh, I agree with you. It's it's not quite as bad as it used to be. When we first started, it seemed like it was a little bit more. Maybe because there's more books out on how to protect yourself and how to look for you know true signs and things. The other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of methodology is how to close readings, and and you know that that can get a little tricky for a couple of reasons. Now, if you're if you have a private reading and you don't really, you're not worried about time, like you don't have anyone after them, um, you've got time yourself, then you don't have to really worry about maybe having a, a tactic or technique of closing readings. When you work in stores like we do and they have people booked after you, um, you do have to really think about uh, how you're going to close the reading, which means to me, 
I do need a clock when I'm doing readings and I watch maybe and see where we're at five minutes before the reading is over. I'm, I almost always go over a little bit with readings. I always give myself at least a five minute buffer. Uh, so even at bookstores, I don't have them do back to back readings. I don't like that personally. Um, but nevertheless, you still, you have to be kind of practical. And then some people, of course, um, once they sit down and I think both Michael and I were, we, we have this calming influence on people. And I think that makes people want to stay around a little longer, especially in LA where it can be very intense. And so, you know, you, you learn tactics and techniques to sort of gently nudge people along. Um, and that's, you know, for me, it's being aware and sort of, and I'll even say things that are show we're winding up the reading. Yeah, and I completely lose track of time when I'm doing readings, so it's a nemesis of mine for sure. Um, now, I think some of that is because you're a bit of an altered state, and, and so I, I think that that comes into play. And then for me, I have a little bit of OCD, and if you ever go to lunch with me, you'll see that I'm like monk. I separate all my food, and I have to eat this one first, and then this thing second, and this thing third, and so forth. So, so I think once I get into a reading, I'm so obsessed with the reading that I kind of lose sight and lose track of everything else. So that's probably a little bit of that too. But it is tough to keep track in readings for sure. Um, and then the whole world kind of just blurs, you know, around you when you're doing the reading. Um, the other thing that is interesting, and I went through this experience, and this is again many years ago when we were at the Bodhi Tree, and um, somebody came in, they said, when you're reading, do you, is this you, or are you connecting with something outside of yourself as part of that process of doing the reading? And I thought, well, how the heck am I supposed to know? The voice in my head still sounds like the voice in my head no matter what, right? And so he said, well, I, I think you are connecting with something outside of yourself. And I said, how so? He said, well, I noticed when we were chatting before the reading started, you would use I, I, I think this, I think that, I think. But I said, as soon as you started doing the reading, you switched to the word we, we think this, we think that. And I thought I hadn't even been aware that I was doing that, but he was absolutely right. And I still do that to this day, but it just feels like it's the right way to phrase the reading. And I don't know if it's just me switching gears as a reader or if there is something outside of the self that you do connect with in a greater sense. Um, but it is a, a fascinating thing. And there's so many little physiological things that happen to you when you read. And, and so it's actually quite a cool experience. Yeah, you, I definitely feel like I go into a light trance. And um, one of the ways I know is sometimes if I'm not feeling like 100%, um, I feel better after I do the reading. Uh, in fact, in general, for whatever reason, unless it's a very exhausting client, which you do get, readings make me feel better. It's it's an odd thing. And, and it could be, you know, I'm getting out of myself too, but I think it has to do with that, putting myself in that sort of light trance. And, and one of the, my methods of doing that is to continually look at the cards. The other reason I like to look at the cards is, as I said earlier, part of my method is I'm trusting the cards over the appearance of the person and over even like I've had people ask me to read their energies and I say, no, I, I don't read them directly through you. That's a different skill. I read them through the cards and they can be different, but, but sort of going back to that, the images. Um, and the other interesting thing, if you don't take the tarot for granted, like, oh, I've looked at this a billion times. I know what that card is. You, you get new insights about cards or something pops out like that you hadn't noticed in the past or forgot about and it's relevant to the reading. So the images do, you know, kind of spark ideas for me as I'm looking at them with the tarot. Um, and, and then I, like I said, I, I like to note what, what images draw the client's attention. Yeah, it's, it's cool that you say that, and that's absolutely true. And, and of course, you know, when you're first starting out with tarot, everything is new. Everything is a new insight, and, and that 
process is happening all the time. And then, you know, now that you're 10, 15 years into doing readings, you know, it doesn't happen as much. But but even to this day, you know, with, and again, with many, many, many thousands, Kristen and I think that in all honesty, between the two of us, it's not unreasonable that we've done 40 more, a thousand or more readings and at this point in our career. Um, and yet still to this day, every once in a while, the tarot, one of the cards will show you an insight into it. It doesn't change the energy. It's still what it is. But it does give you a different insight to it that you haven't had before. And you still get that little aha experience where I'm seeing this card in a whole new light. And I, I think that's amazing that it can do that. Yeah, no. And and even sometimes uh, the symbols in the deck that you've just forgotten for a while, you go, oh, I forgot that had that particular knife in that deck, you know. And, uh, and, and, and it keeps it fresh for you, that idea of part of my method is that sort of beginner's mind coming approaching the tarot with a freshness as much as I can and not doing it automatically and and doing working with Kabbalah luckily because you don't memorize definitions you have to do that to some degree you you have to sort of be present and say okay what's this combination like because there's always you know slightly different combinations uh, or you know maybe they're they're just a little bit different so that idea of approaching it sort of with that open mind is also something I do even now after 25 years of working with the tarot but that's how interesting the tarot is for me sorry for sure cut off my sound for a second um yeah it, it really is you know and it's just a it's a cool thing and I can honestly say that I've done a lot of different things in life you know my resume is a mess when I was young um, so everything you can pretty much imagine I've probably done. But tarot is one of those things that now 26 years later is still interesting. It's never quite gotten old, you know, and I think we're getting old and I think our own energy, we need to rest a little more sometimes and, and so forth. But the tarot itself, it's just, it's still a fascinating experience. And I think that, I think after all this time, I honestly still enjoy doing readings for people. It's really kind of fascinating that you've, you've never quite get to the point where you're saying, you know, I'm kind of over this or tired with it at all. And, and so maybe it's just because it's a passion. I'm sure people that play music never get tired of mm. playing music and so forth because it's something you're passionate about. But it is, to, and, I, and I think it's also because it's just so interesting. You know, you're dealing with so many different people and so many interesting situations. And from time to time, it's something you've never dealt with before. And so I, I think that it does keep it very interesting. So I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I think it's an important point about the physical side of tarot. And um, I mean, it, it's true of anything that you do a lot of, but there is an element of exhaustion that is a psychic exhaustion um, and also sitting a lot. If you do a lot of readings, you're sitting, but when I was younger, that didn't bother me. But the psychic end of it is uh, getting drained psychically is very real. And the only thing we ever found that worked was rest. Uh, I mean, like real rest. And, and even doing Tai Chi didn't necessarily replenish my energy right away. And so you'll part of my method is knowing what my limits are you know what if i can do like four or five readings in a row today uh, i used to do of course tons of readings uh to parties and things when i was younger but as michael said we're getting older and so it's important to acknowledge that the taxing nature of it just like any you know any other thing that that people do that that's okay you know that's part of doing a I say a, a good job to tell you the truth. If you're if you're never tired, then I don't think you're doing much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I remember this too. That, that going back to the beginning days when I first year doing readings, you know, first couple months really. Um, and Vanessa was having a little fundraiser or bookstore and she was doing like a tea and tarot thing where people could come in and and we do quick little readings for them. And she asked if I would volunteer to to do some readings, and I'm like, sure, why not. 
Um, so I jumped in. And it was my first time ever doing an, an event where it was, you know, back-to-back readings, boom, 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 for like two hours or something. Um, and at the end of it, I felt like I'd been run over by a truck. I, I couldn't drive home. Somebody had to drive me home. I was just completely almost, you know, feel like exhausted and stoned. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, now, again, all these years later, we've done so much that it's almost like an athlete. We're in, in better shape, in a sense, to do that kind of stuff now. Um, and then the other advantage, I think, too, as Krista said earlier in the in the broadcast, is that, um, you know, we've seen so much now with the tarot that we don't have to take the time to, to do the math quite as much. You know, I recognize this pattern as opposed to having to see it for the first time and try and work through what it means. So I think that that's a, an advantage, too. But it's still very draining at times. And, and you know, it's a, there is a limit, you know, when we do parties or special events. You know, I mean, four hours is enough and five is pushing it and beyond that i don't think i would have the strength you know for sure yeah and you can always put in your own breaks so for instance you know at at you know the bookstore if i have like two long readings in a row i ask them to put a half hour in between even though normally they put 15 minutes but for longer readings i need more of recovery time and and, and again, some of it has to do with, you know, our age, as Michael said, but, you know, sometimes people just have differ, differing abilities from the beginning as it is, and some people need more time off than others. That, though I, I, I can't imagine anyone could do this full time for like 40 hours a week for very long. <laughs> it, it, it would be very, very demanding. Yeah, for sure. And and we definitely have our limits. And as I said, Chris and I are not getting any younger. We're, we're getting up there. We're now counting the months to Social Security. So we're definitely getting there. Um, but the, you do have limits physically, and you do have to pay attention to that, too. Um, and, and it does drain you to a degree that there is a, a, an exhaustion. I remember, remember there was a story I remember, too, that it, it's reminding me of when in Nova Scotia, this, this young girl I rent read for and and she got the reading and before the reading she said i have to ask you a question and i said sure go for it she said how much of my energy are you going to have to take in order to do this reading and i thought none (laughs) i mean what do you mean i'm not going to take your energy you know i don't have to do that And, and she said well i got this reading from this person that said they would do the reading for me but they would have to use some of my energy and afterwards it took me like a week to get out of bed again i was so drained and depleted and i thought wow a psychic vampire if one ever existed right and i said well honestly i'm not going to need your energy in fact i might even give you a little energy by the time we're done um and it was a whole different experience for her but so i guess psychic vampires are a very real thing she even asked permission to take her energy and she sure did so it was a fascinating experience Oh, I totally forgot about that story. And and again, at least the person asked, I will say that. I mean, don't vampires have to ask, though? Like, you know, at least to enter your home, I think it is. Yeah, right. for sure. I mean, that's part of it, right? They're supposed to ask permission. And I guess this one did. And I guess they, they sucked her dry of energy almost in half an hour or whatever amount of time they spent together. So there's some strange things out there. So definitely get to know the reader. And please, you know, every reader's not going to sit down and talk to you about their process and their where they're coming from spiritually and what their views are on the world and on the tarot. You probably don't need to get a reading from them, to be honest. You know, I, I love discussing the tarot, and for me, to, to sit here for an hour and discuss it, it makes me happy. You know, it's it's a, as I was saying to somebody in our chat, it's an old friend, and and so anyone that wants to sit down and say, tell me about what you do, and I'll happily sit there and and spend the afternoon chatting with them about what we do and so forth. And so, as I said, if someone's not willing to do that, that's probably a very bad sign. And that brought up in, in my mind too, like um, as part of my way I approach readings is I generally, uh, and again, this is a general rule, I won't talk about myself very much at all. Um, 
I will say the exception to that are our, our clients that will, you know, I know they want to know what's really up with me, but I, I kind of do it outside the reading. And then once in a while, I will use a story if it really does seem relevant to the reading. But generally, when I even use examples um, for stories, I reach for stories from books I've read that indicate, you know, like this is a representation of this pattern. And I'll share with them, you know, some story or maybe a mythology. I like to share um, mythologies with people to give examples and and try not to use again not I, I don't want to intrude on the reading and, and I don't think this is necessarily this is how I like to approach it and, and and definitely if someone does that a little bit that's not a big deal only if they start taking over the reading and talking about yes I had this trend last year myself and under that trend I had a car accident and then I recovered from it and it was a good thing you know I've heard readers that do things like that that's that's not really um, that's not cool, really. You know, it's it's that person's reading and their dime. And even if they're not paying, it's still their reading. It's not about you again. Going back to that idea, don't make it about yourself. The reading. Yeah, stay stay away from the ego stuff for sure. And you know, um, I, I just want to mention quickly, we're we're talking about doing a new little project. We mentioned it on the chat, but for those of you that are going to listen to just the audio, is that we're we're thinking of starting a, a TikTok series of using the tarot in a very different way, which is going to be more as a meditation. So I don't like doing, you know, as I said to earlier in the chat, this one card reading for everyone. But I, I think that the idea of doing it um, and really showcasing at the same time, this is what these cards mean. I think it's a great way of educating people as to what the real tarot is about, and what some of the symbolism really is in it. I'm excited about that. I think that's going to be a really fun project. So we're going to hopefully launch that in the next week or two. Um, and then the classes and everything. I'm very excited about this month. It's And every time I teach tarot, I fall in love with it all over again. So it's always exciting to me. And I know I have a couple of friends who are going to be joining us for the class. And uh, I'm thrilled about it. But it is so much fun to teach it. And as I said, it's just I just get re-excited. It's like going right back to the first year. And, and I, I enjoy learning it again with them. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're going to have another class coming up. Yes, I, I think the whole, the TikTok project is really fascinating to me. And of course, the class is always going to be uh, really a, a great, um, productive, and it's kind of all you really need to get a basic um, understanding of tarot. And you're going to make it still your own is the way Michael teaches the Kabbalistic tarot. And again, you can find out the information about our classes at mysticraven.net. Uh, you'll see right away there's a little pop-up and it'll show you how to get the tickets and has a little blurb about it. But you can, you know, you can also email us as well. Um, and and the, one, the one thing I will say about that's missing a lot of times when people just talk about the cards is, is people tend to put things into the cards, even in books that aren't actually there. Like they'll describe um, a figure. I saw this with the Eight of Cups in one book and they say a dejected man well, in the image that they're talking about, which happens to be the weight image, the man, or could be a woman actually, it does look male, but who knows, maybe it's a, a, a woman with short hair. But in any case, you can't see the person's face. There's, and there's no, and, and yes, the, the, the figure has a cane and looks maybe a little old or injured. You don't know if they're dejected. So a lot of times you find people putting things into cards that you say, well, where is that in the card? You know, and that is a problem I find across the board. And then people just, you know, run away with that. So anyway, that was my last sort of point I wanted to make is that I'm, Michael's going to not do that with the TikTok. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it in ways that you can actually see um, some of the symbolism or where its position is in the Kabbalah. And it makes some sense. So do you have any last sort of piece of uh, advice or wisdom that you'd like to share, Michael? 
Uh, not really so much, other than it's a—it's not a scary thing. The tarot is wonderful. It's one of the great systems. Um, has this incredible philosophy of Kabbalah backing it, so it's going to teach you an awful lot about life. And Crowley said that the two most impressive systems were the tarot and the I Ching. And I think he's right. I, I think with tarot, you're you're getting immersed in in Kabbalah, which is that that Hebrew um, philosophy of life, and with I Ching and Taoism, which is again a fascinating and full philosophy. So there there is something special about the tarot. Um, that really separates it from a lot of other tools and perhaps why it's still so popular today. Absolutely. And the fact that it's visual, we are visual creatures and (laughs) that plays a huge role in tarot and as it should be. But thank you all for tuning in and thank you all that joined on our chat today. We really appreciate your comments and you're listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a wonderful week.